Welcome to the Friday edition of Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. On the show today, New Japan Pro Wrestling have lost their champion, while the WWE have lost their damn minds. Uh, if you want to get in contact with the show, Twitter and Instagram, I am at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. If you want to email the show, it is at couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music for the show provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. So, you know, the deal Fridays are more focused on the combat sports, and let's get into it with some UFC 262. We broke down on Monday some of the main storylines. Charles Oliveira is your new UFC lightweight champion. Who will he face? Who's to say? We have some ideas, though. Um, Tony Ferguson continues to stay in the news, saying, like, no, he's not going to retire because now I'm pissed, and Tony Ferguson needs to stop talking. Like, I get it's it's frustrating what Tony Ferguson must be going through. I, I can't imagine being at the top of the world in something and then having that kind of taken away from you. Just really nothing that you've done wrong. It's just how time works. But to suggest that he has lost rather thoroughly 11 rounds in a row because he hasn't been pissed off enough, that just, it doesn't work for me. And I get, like, he's not saying, well, I, I was just lackadaisical. So, but it's just, I can't take the guy seriously as a top-flight fighter anymore. Like, I, d I don't want to see him against top-five opponents. I don't really want to see him against top-ten opponents, as we saw with Benil Dariush, who was ranked ninth in the, the UFC rankings, those being what they are. But I just... It's going to be very difficult for me to take Tony Ferguson seriously in any sort of capacity moving forward. If he wants to keep fighting, it's his right to make a livelihood. So, a giver, man. But I just... I'm pretty done with Tony Ferguson being a relevant fixture in MMA. A lot of people were over the weekend at the, the press conference where he was Tony Ferguson again. A lot of people, oh man, it's great to have the old Tony back. And... That shit's fine. It, like, the Dana White privilege was a legitimately hilarious line. So, for sure, keep being funny if you're funny. But a, a lot of the stuff that he's talking, it, it, you kind of lose it when you're losing a bunch. Like, he, he's got his ass kicked three rounds in a row, or uh, three fights in a row now. It, it's tough for me to take you seriously as any kind of trash talker when you keep losing all the time. So... For Tony Ferguson's sake, hopefully he figures something out and gets back on track, but I, I'm i not going to be excited about seeing it anytime soon. Some other stuff from some of the lesser fights on, or some of the undercard fights. I don't want to say lesser, because again, it was a pretty fun night of fights for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I was really disappointed with the showing from Matt Schnell, and not just because uh, your boy had some money sprinkled on that one, um, but... That was the exact opposite of what a game plan should be against a guy who really struggled to make weight. And they were mentioning it on the broadcast. It really let Bontarin stay in the fight and eventually allows Bontarin to get the win. And for Schnell, like, I understand Bontarin is coming with a whole lot of power, and that can be a rather intimidating thing to face. And it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, just go in there. Who cares if you get your lights knocked out? But when you see the speed that Schnell is able to strike with and just how quickly he can get in there with his hands. It doesn't have to be a nine-punch combo in there. Like, you don't have to do the, okay, we're going to hit the heavy bag for a minute. It can just be pop, popping out. But he just, he never really seemed to pull the trigger and it just let Bontrun stay in and stay in and stay in and stay in. And eventually, 
it ends up costing him. So very disappointing. I, I'm not overly excited about seeing either fighter in a, a, any sort of, like, I'm not, okay, well, sky's the limit for these guys moving forward. Let's see them against top five opponents. I'm kind of just, okay, well, enjoy the third fight on the card on fight night. Like, that. that's kind of where I'm at with both of those guys. Edson Barbosa, I owe him an apology because I was saying that Burgos can be a little bit hittable, but Barbosa, I don't think, has the power to really do that anymore. And boy, was I wrong about that. Edson Barbosa with a vintage Edson Barbosa performance, and he's calling for a top five opponent in lightweight, and I, I am not here to stop him from that, that's for damn sure. And I wonder now, because when we looked at the lightweight situation on Monday, and you see Oliveira against the winner of Poirier McGregor, and you see Gaethje against Chandler, that does leave someone without a dance partner. That does leave either Poirier or McGregor, whoever loses that fight, without a, a real obvious threat. And Edson Barbosa, it's one of the highlights of the weekend that you see with the Burgos delayed reaction on the knockout, which was scary as hell. But I am interested in seeing Barbosa now get one of those, quite frankly, get a big payday. Um, I, I would not favor him against either Poirier or McGregor, um, uh, depending on how the fight goes, I guess. I believe that's set for July. But I, I think Barbosa, I, I think it'd be cool for him to get that shot. And he has a buzz coming off of him, or a, a buzz around him coming off of this weekend. I would be interested in that. Maybe you put Benil Dariush in that situation, but this is what I talked about on Monday that post-fight thing that Dariush did really takes him out of all of these conversations. And that is the exact opposite of what you want to do in a post-fight whatever. Like, if you're the champ and you want to say, yeah, I want to take some time off, then fine, take time off, man. But, and for Benil Dariush, even if you want to take time off, don't say it. Just have that come out a little bit later. Like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm actually a little bit more beat up than I thought, so I'm, I'm going to take some time. Go start calling people out. That that was the biggest one of Benil Dariush's career, and a lot of the focus was going to be on Tony Ferguson, regardless of how that fight went. But if he calls out almost literally anyone, even a Barbosa, then you get people excited for him. But Benil Dariush just does not seem to be where he should be in terms of where someone's stock would be coming off a performance like that. And that post-fight interview, I think, really killed a lot of momentum that he could have had coming out of that. On the prelims, Andrea Lee with a, a very impressive victory over Shevchenko with the uh, the armbar finish after holding a triangle for essentially the entire round. Um just a, a good win for her. In terms of what's next, it, it would be another ranked opponent. We're probably a ways away from her moving into a title shot. Jordan Wright certainly knows how to close the show. An impressive KO victory. Eventually, that's not going to work. Like, eventually, just absolutely blitzing someone isn't going to get the job done. But the moment he smelled even a, blood, a, a touch of blood in the water, he was all over it. And that, that's really impressive stuff. You don't see that a whole lot, especially early in a fight. There's a lot, okay, well, I'm going to be patient, have to, and he's just, nope, closing the show right here. There's a confidence in that, and there's an excitement level in that, and, and I think people will be excited to see what Jordan Wright can do again. So that, that was a pretty impressive finish for Jordan Wright. Gina Mazzani, so close. Th that was one where it's like, okay, I am right. I, I The analysis was right, right up until she got stood up. And this is where, this is, it's not something that's going to get talked about a ton from the weekend because it, it happens on the prelims. But 
I hate referee stand-ups. And not just because it cost me on a prediction here, but in my opinion, like, taking someone down and holding them there, while not the most aesthetically pleasing aspect of the sport, is still, like, try holding down another human being. It's, it's who, so, who doesn't want to be held down. It's rather difficult. I'm not suggesting you go do that. That's assault. But it's just, it's, it's a tricky thing to do, right? And so if you are good enough to hold someone down in a mixed martial arts competition, I think you should be able to. And I don't think a referee should be able to save someone just because, ah, this is a little bit boring and the crowd's starting to do the Ric Flair woo and starting to boo and starting to, to get frustrated. Like, it's not it's not the referee's job to make a fight exciting. And I understand what we're doing here is entertainment, but it's a 13-fight card, man. Like, one of these fights probably isn't going to suck. You can deal with it for 15 minutes if it's getting a little bit boring. So I, I do not have any issue with a referee never standing a fight up, and this one significantly changes the entire fight. Now, it, it, the referee was not to know that Gina Mazzani was going to completely gas out, and by all means, don't completely gas out in the middle of a fight but that was one where I, I just I, I'm I am very much against any sort of referee intervention whether it comes to um, a separation on the cage or whether it comes to a, a fighter in guard holding a, another fighter down and I understand like there are a lot of times where it's just kind of a, a stalling tactic but I, I think the onus should be on the, the the fighter who's on their back to get up like, you, you can't just hold on and wait for the referee to, to bail you out. That actually encourages more boring fights, if that makes sense. Because the, the fighter on the ground, if they know they're going to get bailed out by the ref, then you just close that guard up and you bear hug and you wait for the referee to stand them up. And, and Daniel Cormier saying that they tell him in the back, like, body, body, head isn't going to be enough, which I think is ridiculous. That you, you, are, you are landing legitimate punches. Uh, probably not the most impactful punches, but I wouldn't want to take them. So I, I think, I, I feel like the owner should be on the fighter on the ground to, if you don't want to be there, try to stand it up. And that will create more action than just closed guard holding on, wait for a few peppering punches to go, and then you, you get stood back up. I, I think if you let these potentially lesser fighters off their back, try to scramble their way back to the feet, while maybe you're not going to see it in a lot of grappling textbooks or grappling instructional videos, shitty grappling can actually be really entertaining because you end up in some weird positions and you end up in, with some weird submissions and some weird results. So I, I think it would actually encourage more entertainment if you didn't have referee stand-ups. Um, in the first fight of the night, Giagos, with an impressive, um, I guess, response to Soriano. And for Soriano, I want to see more from, from him. I, I thought taking this fight on short notice, and you see the skill that he had on the feet, it was pretty impressive. But then once it got to the ground, oh boy, that was over quick. So that was one where, okay, I'm feeling good about this prediction. And it was, I, I'm, I am winning this fight right up until I'm not. And then I really wasn't. And that was it. As far as the UFC action for this weekend is concerned in the main event, Rob Font, the third weight, uh, third ranked bantamweight goes up against Cody Garbrandt. And when you see three versus four, as you are going to see in the co-main event on this one as well, you think, okay, well, the winner of this could be in line for a title shot. But the, the bantamweight title is in limbo right now with Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. 
having a bit of controversy because the title can change hands on a disqualification, as we found out in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So the the winner of this fight, that there's a, a little bit of lim limbo in there, and it certainly depends on how quickly they can reschedule a Sanhagen-Dillashaw fight. If you can get that one going pretty quickly, Sanhagen would be next in line following a Jan-Sterling rematch. If you can get Sanhagen-Dillashaw done in a, a relatively quick amount of time, or maybe you don't even, maybe you just scrap that one and the winner of this fight faces Sanhagen in a, a title eliminator bout. Either way, I feel like the winner of this fight is still a fight away from a championship fight, but this is going to be a fun one. I, I'm I'm really interested to see Rob Font, who has been on the up for a little while. Cody Garbrandt was down. Is he working his way back up? I would suggest him being ranked at number four is a little generous considering homies just lost three in a row. He has a win in his last bout, and that's great. But it feels like that's a little bit of name value coming in, and the, the UFC rankings are what they are. In the co-main event, you have Yan Nan taking on Carla Esparza, again, three versus four. And this is one where I could see the winner getting a title shot. You have number one and number two ranked, um, the, the number one, number two ranked fighters have each lost to the champion. And you have Carla Esparza, who has a win over the champion. And you have Yan, who doesn't do the losing thing a whole lot, and uh, I think would be a fresh face yeah, as a challenger in the strawweight division. So uh, this is one where I do think the winner of this bout advances to a title shot. Uh, a couple other fights of note, we're not going to run through the whole card on this one. Uh, shout out to Felicia Spencer, who one of the toughest fighters, regardless of weight class, in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Uh, she gets about on the main card coming up this weekend. But in the middleweight division, Jack Hermanson taking on Edmund Shabazian. Hermanson, this has to be a very difficult time for him because we are a couple events away from Marvin Vittori taking on Israel Adesanya for the UFC's middleweight championship and Vittori's last win came over Hermanson. And so that has to suck for Hermanson to see that you were that close. But this will be interesting now to see how do you respond. And this is an interesting how do you respond fight because Shabazian is coming off of his first career loss against Derek Brunson. So we will see how that sort of adversity in your career affects your fight. I I'm really looking forward to this one and seeing which one of these fighters can work their way back toward the title picture. And you got a couple... Um, what were they, like Time Life or whatever? The the, the infomercial people um, from, I don't even know if they still have infomercials, to be perfectly honest, but a couple oldies but goodies on the undercard with Ben Rothwell fighting, as well as Court McGee, who has just the most amazing story, and uh, Yancy Medeiros getting a, a little bit of run on the undercard as well. So an interesting fight card, not the biggest, most jam-packed weekend of combat sports. I think this is probably one where... The, the more casual observer can just pick and choose a couple ones, and if you see that their fight was just an absolute blow-away awesome fight, go ahead and check it out. But th this is not one where Sunday morning you're going to wake up and, oh, I can't believe I didn't watch UFC Vegas 27. I, I, think, I, I think you'll probably be all right with that. Music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary, provided by Wasted Talent. Their new song, Out Now, Drowning. Catch it on Apple Music, Spotify, and YouTube. You can follow the group on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be.
Pretty newsworthy weekend in the world of professional wrestling. We will start with New Japan as their IWGP heavyweight champion Will Ospreay is out with a neck injury. Injuries, the uh, I guess kind of story of the week. We'll get into that in the WWE in a little bit. But for New Japan, this is a really difficult break. And I understand there are people who aren't the biggest fans of Will Ospreay as a human being based on some of the accusations that came out last summer. None directly coming towards him, but he apparently is involved in uh, blacklisting someone who came out with allegations against someone who Will Ospreay knew. And with that, you are going to have a segment of the audience that cares not what happens to Will Ospreay. And so I, I do not want any of my comments from here on in to sound like they are endorsements of the human being Will Ospreay I am now more just talking about from a professional wrestling standpoint and from just a, a pure wrestling standpoint, it sucks for Will Ospreay as this is someone who is really coming into his own. He gets his very own group to be the leader of. He gets a, a real, uh, I know Jim Ross hates this on his podcast, but he gets a real push and is now the guy in the company after a long time of being someone who had some of the most entertaining matches on the show, but never really got that true we are running with you look as the heavyweight champion. And now he gets that and he gets hurt and he gets hurt in an awesome match against Shingo Takagi, who probably will be one of the front runners to reclaim that crown. And this is one where if we were in a regular year for new Japan pro wrestling, I think it'd be really cool if the G1 was just for the world heavyweight championship, but with the G1 not coming until um, not coming until the fall, it gets a little bit trickier. I would imagine you do something for the championship at Osaka Joe Hall coming up on June 6th. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I don't want it to just be, well, Shingo Takagi gets it now. Because I, I, I kind of hope for Shingo that he needs to be the next star. I think he needs to be the, the next big thing for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And with that, I think he needs to win the G1. And you kind of give him that hero's journey to the championship. But there isn't a, a real obvious one. You, you haven't really done a whole lot with Kazuchika Okada this year. Basically since losing the championship. He, he is kind of a weird storyline with... Bullet Club, and it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's been taken seriously for a while, but that is not one that it takes a lot to heat up. And that might be, just go with Old Reliable for a little bit. You're starting to, well, not in Japan. I was going to say you're starting to be able to get a few more fans in the building. That is certainly not the case out in Japan right now. But you were just about to headline uh, a show at a baseball stadium with him. It clearly doesn't take a whole lot to heat up a, a Kazuchika Okada, so I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind going a little bit more creative either, and we've seen they don't mind messing around with the championship a little bit. They went evil last year. That clearly didn't work. It wasn't as bad as some people said it was, but it wasn't as good as I hoped it could have been with evil, and you don't come out of it with evil feeling like a main eventer as he's doing all that stuff with Toru Yano now. Um... Naito, I don't know if you, you want to go back to that one. Kota Ibushi, I will always be in favor of putting the belt on Ibushi. I thought they, they got it away from him too soon. And with New Japan, um, kind of being like the, the strong style type of uh, a mentality, you could almost tell the story of, hey, like, yeah, you beat me, but your body couldn't hold up to being the champion. And uh, now here I am getting the championship again. You could tell that story when Osprey gets back. 
So I, I wouldn't mind Abushi, but I also would like. I think one of these stars of the the pandemic era. I, I think Minoru Suzuki was really really good for like his stuff with Yuji Nagata at, at the early part of the pandemic was fun. I think this would be an interesting time to put the belt on him. I, I think that you could go, if you wanted to stick with the heel champion for a little bit, um, I don't know how long Will Ospreay is out. I don't know how long you would stick with Minoru as your IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, but matches with him and Shingo Takagi would be dope. I don't think you can go with Hiroshi Tanahashi. I think going with Ishii would be a real interesting one as well. I just think this is an opportunity to try to go creative with it. And if New Japan just went with Old Reliable with someone like a Naito or with an Okada, it's not the end of the world. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to try to make someone coming out of this, not that Ishii is an unmade man. He certainly has a following. Um, but I, I would be interested with a, a run for him. Maybe this is the time you go with Goto, even. Like, I, I think you could get a little bit creative. I don't know how they're going to get into it, whether you do, like, a Fatal 4-Way at Osaka Joe Hall, a, a six-way challenge or whatever, or if you just want to do a singles match uh, or, or a one-night tournament. I think that would be an interesting one to do. But I, I think now is the time to get creative for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And you have an opportunity now to to make someone in one night and make a new main eventer in one night. And you don't often get the the chance to do that, but you, you've been given this opportunity. I would love to see how creative New Japan is able to be with this. I said that injury is kind of the story of the week as The Miz, who rather famously a couple of years ago cut a promo talking about how durable he has been, finally succumbs to the rigors of the professional wrestling world as he goes down with a knee injury. I would assume it came on that spinning heel kick from the top rope from Damian Priest in at WrestleMania Backlash, but who's to say? He was attacked by zombies, so who knows? And it sucks so bad that The Miz, who, uh, he is what he is at this point. I, I, I wish that we got more serious Miz, and I wish we got more WWE champion back in 2011 Miz. That was one of my favorite characters of the post-Attitude Era 2000s. I, I, I was absolutely in love with that Miz character, and I wish he would come back, but I understand he's not, so... This Miz character is what it is. But either way, like, this is a dude who's on a reality show. This is a guy who got a prominent spot at WrestleMania, period. Not WrestleMania Backlash, WrestleMania. <laughs> but it just, th there's never a great time to to have an injury. There aren't a whole lot of wrestlers going, oh, I'm not doing anything right now. Boy, it'd be great if my ACL just ripped in half. But the, the, the timing on this, I, I do think, kind of sucks for the Miz, and you hope that it's not held against Damian Priest. I, I don't believe that it will be. It's just it's a, a tricky spot that goes wrong. But overall, it sucks to have your last match for an extended period of time be a match that involves some damn zombies. And that gets us to WWE WrestleMania Backlash, a name that I will forever and always think is the stupidest damn thing ever. A couple of notes, we don't have to do the, the full breakdown. I was busy over the weekend, so didn't do a Twitch stream with it. So just some quick thoughts on Backlash. I hated how this started. And not with the Women's Championship match, but we were about eight minutes into the show before we got any wrestling. And the WWE puts on fantastic video packages. That They are still the undisputed leader when it comes to video packages. I just don't need them back to back. And you do the, the big grand opening for WrestleMania Backlash. And then you have 
and then Vert come on for a couple of seconds, and then you get another video opening for this match that included some clips that you had in the last video opening. Like, you just, you don't need that. You shouldn't do that. That should never happen. And, and it just... I always feel, I never really liked the WCW, we're going to start with six minutes of talking with, with Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Mike Tanay. I, I thought that kind of, like, all right, pay-per-view started, let's go, we got Pyro, let's get it, we're talking, and we're talking, and we're still talking. If you want to do like a quick, hey, this is what's coming up, this is going to be exciting, here we go, then fine but to go video package video package and make me wait eight minutes for the action to get going it just it really takes you out of the momentum that you're trying to build up on a pay-per-view so i i did not like that but overall I, I thought wrestling wise this was a fun show and also i thought pat mcafee was a star on this show and you can really see he is becoming more and more comfortable each and every week and i think adnan is too and, and i think with adnan verk he he understands that he's not going to be, like we talked about last week, he's not going to be calling move by move my move my move my move. That, that, that's not going to be his thing. So instead, he is going with the sports broadcaster route of, all right, well, what would I do to prep for these shows if this was a legitimate sporting contest? I would go out and find as many fucking stats as possible. And that's what he's doing. And I think it, it adds a little bit more legitimacy to it. And one thing that I've always been frustrated about with WWE is that unless... It is something extremely specific that ties into the story. If it isn't happening in this time window of this storyline, then nothing about it matters. But you have Adnan bringing in some stats and, hey, this was his first opportunity since 2016 and this is his first da-da-da-da-da-da. It just, it makes it feel more serious and it just, it adds a little bit more to the matches. So I, I like that he is able to do that. So I, I think the new additions are, are starting to, to figure out their roles pretty well and understand their strengths and their weaknesses as well um real fun tag team match the smackdown tag team titles change hands it is the mysterios winning it it's a little bit predictable but sometimes predictable is good that like that 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 is still how that was supposed to go you don't want to just oh and then uh, dominic mysterio shot ray mysterio in the face well no one saw that coming so unpredictable i guess sometimes you need to go the predictable route I, I am liking the Dirty Dogs way more than I was expecting to. I think th there's just something about them that it's, all right, I'm excited to see what's happening here. And it's two performers that I enjoy, Bobby Roode more so than Dolph Ziggler. The, the time for Ziggler has kind of come and gone. But for, for Bobby Roode, like, there's just a legitimacy there. I, I just, I, I really like what they are doing. And I wish that they were in a company that took tag team wrestling a little bit more seriously, but I thought that match was fantastic. Next on my notes is just three words. Holy shit, zombies. Look, I get we're trying to make that money and you have a, a sponsorship thing here with a movie. The Dave Batista opening was enough. That's probably all you needed. You didn't need to incorporate zombies into a match. I absolutely hated literally every second of this. I... I get that there can be humor involved in professional wrestling. It doesn't have to just be serious, serious, serious all the time. And we get in 2021, the cat's out of the bag. Everyone knows this shit's fake anyway, but it, it just, it really takes you out of it when stuff like this happens. And it, it's just, it's annoying and it sucks. And I hated it. Um, but WWE made money off of it. So congratulations. And one point that, John Pollock made on post wrestling, listening to his recap of the show after on Sunday, the WWE can get away with this because it's not going to affect them. Like the, the frustrating thing about 
watching the WWE product right now is that like Monday Night Raw is extremely skippable. SmackDown's been quite good, but it doesn't change anything. They, they still get multi-million and, and sometimes billion dollar TV deals and they have revenues through the roof. And from a business standpoint, the WWE is basically too big to fail now. Like uh, unless they did something horrifyingly offensive on television, they're, they're going to keep making money and creative is still not going to matter. And that, that is, that is extremely frustrating because it does feel like a lot of things get treated as, well, it doesn't matter because all we have to do is just put three hours of television on and we're going to make money off of it. And, and it just, it feels like there is no drive to be creative on Monday Night Raw right now. On SmackDown, there are at least stories that you're invested in, but what are you tuning in every week to to watch? And even just, like, the, the triple threat match for the, the WWE Championship was really good. I, I really enjoyed the Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, and Drew McIntyre match. But I've said before, you can skip the, the TV and just, okay, this is the video package. Okay, well, this is what the story is. Even the video package was just, hey, this is a triple threat match. But, like, they put over the match more than the championship and more than the people involved. Like, the, the entire story of this was, this is a triple threat match. You can have that be a part of it. That's fine. It should just be a little, itty, bitty, tiny piece of that. Like, with Charlotte, Rhea Ripley, and Asuka... You didn't really have the, 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 this is a triple threat match. How I, I, I might lose my championship and not even get pinned. You have a storyline around it. I don't think it was a great one, but there was at least a story there. The entire story of this feud is, uh, it's a triple threat match. And it's kind of unfair to this extremely hulking champion. Like, okay, so you're the bad guy. I shouldn't feel bad for you anyway. Like, I, I just... I, I did not like the storytelling at all going into that, and it, it, a little disappointing. But overall, like, this is the thing. Good show. Really good show. I enjoyed a lot of it. When you get to the wrestling part of World Wrestling Entertainment, this is the best roster they've ever had. I And I, I did not stutter. Like, from, from a, a purely wrestling standpoint, just a bell to bell, they have never had a better roster. They are stacked. They have more talent than they know what to do with. You would argue that with the way some of the stories go on Monday Night Raw, that's literally any amount of talent. But still, they have more talent than they know what to do with. They are bursting at the seams with talented individuals in the ring. And it just, it gets so frustrating when the storytelling around that sucks. And when you absolutely hit on a story, it's amazing. The Roman Reigns stuff is great. And I'm, I can't wait to tune in on Friday every week to see the next progression of Roman Reigns and now with the Usos and to see where this storyline ends up going. Because there's a couple of different ways they could go. Like, Hell in a Cell is next because they want to save money in the bank for when they can have people in the arenas, and we'll get to that in a second. But Hell in a Cell is next. Last time they were in Hell in a Cell, you had Roman Reigns with Jey Uso, and that was the I Quit match they brought up. And you have Roman Reigns attacking Jimmy Uso during that match as well. The story is set up perfectly for that. But if you want to drag things out a little bit, you can have Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman force the Usos to now, okay, go after the tag team titles. It's like, we don't, we don't really have a beef with the Mysterios, you know, like we, we don't. Jimmy and Jay, like, Jay would probably be like, yeah, okay, so let's go. But Jimmy, it's like, we, we don't we don't have a problem with them. Why, why are we attacking them? And that could spin off into a Rey Mysterio feud with Roman Reigns. Like, there, there are different ways you could go with Roman Reigns. And that's the, on, on SmackDown, there's intrigue 
because there's options. On Raw, I guess you could call it intrigue, but it's like, well, I don't know what they're going to do with Bobby Lashley. Not because, wow, there's just so many challengers, but it's like, well, they haven't done a fucking thing with anyone else. So who knows? And, and it's just, it's frustrating. It probably is going to be Kofi, I guess, with the the win that he gets uh, over uh, over Bobby Lashley. I don't know where that leaves Drew McIntyre, but Kofi Kingston in a main event feud, I, I am never going to... I'm never going to criticize. But again, that, that's not because of some amazing storytelling. That's because Kofi Kingston's an awesome dude and is an incredible performer and I can't wait to see him perform. So, rant over. I never expect to come into these to rant about the WWE and I always seem to just rant about the WWE. In other World Wrestling Entertainment news, the company is set to tour starting in July with 25 tour dates set. Most notably... Three events around Money in the Bank weekend on Friday, July 16th. SmackDown will be at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. On Sunday, July 18th, Money in the Bank will be at the Dickies Arena in Fort Worth. And then on Monday, WWE Raw will be at American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. I would imagine if you're waiting for something gigantic to happen, probably ain't gonna happen until those. Like the talk of John Cena coming back, ah, I might be waiting until you are allowed to have arenas packed again. And uh, I wonder if we get uh, a couple of major angles going into those money in the banks. Um, lastly, AEW, they are moving to TBS. And I, I think this is a cool setup. I mean, a TBS, like TNT, is very much associated with Monday Nitro, right? Like that 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 is that was the Monday Night War. But TBS for me has always been more associated with professional wrestling than TNT. TNT was kind of the all right, let's kick this into the mainstream. But TBS was like it it's super cliche at this point with the wrestling thing. And god damn, I hope there's not a well, we're starting at 605. But the the Saturday at 605 thing was a, a legitimate thing. And I remember watching WCW Saturday night on, on TBS for years and years and years as a kid. And Thunder was on TBS, which is not a well thought of aspect of the, the, the Monday Night War era, but I loved the hell out of Thunder. So to me, TBS has always been more associated with professional wrestling than TNT has been. And so I like that Dynamite is going to be on TBS. And there's a new show coming in August, a third hour on Fridays called Rampage. I hope that this is... Kind of like what, what SmackDown was to Raw back in the day where you are able to further storylines, but I, I do think that you need to kind of have, I, I think that more talent needs to be showcased. Like, I, I don't think this can just be your A stuff is also on, like your Dynamite stuff is also on Rampage. I think that there needs to be more of a spotlight on some of the, the talents that aren't getting opportunities right now that are just on Dark and that are just on Evolution. So... I, I, I do think that AEW needs more TV time. I understand that it will be a little bit more difficult to follow along now because, oh good, another hour of professional wrestling. But I do think that this will help the talents of AEW quite a bit. And I like the idea of having four special events on TNT, kind of your, your Clash of the Champions sort of things. And we, we've, we've seen them do it already. Right? Like they, they do that with Winter is Coming. They, they've done that with the, the Bash of the Beach and with St. Patrick's Day, whatever the hell they called it. They, they have done this before. And so I, I, I like the idea of only like keep the pay-per-views super duper special and only keep about four of them, right? Um, but you can still have major events that you are building your storylines to. And this allows you to have more 
blow-offs to feuds and stuff like that. So I I, I like this idea a lot uh, of having the, the four main events on TNT, and I think it shows growth for AEW that the the Turner family of networks is comfortable bouncing them around on their two major stations. Just one quick note, didn't get into a whole lot of AEW last week with a lot of previewing to do. This is the first time that I think AEW has rushed a show just because of a show name. Like, you, you look at what's going on in WWE right now, you could make the case that Seth Rollins and Cesaro can be built up to a Hell in a Cell type of a level, but aside from that, there's nothing in WWE right now that screams, this feud needs to go in a gosh darn cell. And that's become an extremely frustrating thing for watching WWE programming, where you have these giant matches that are supposed to be the blow-offs to feuds, and instead, it's just, well, this happens in October, so we're doing it in October, and this year it happens in June, because we're in a fucking pandemic. And for AEW, they've been able to stay away from that until now. I get that Stadium Stampede was a huge success last year. It, it feels rushed right now to have the Inner Circle and the Pinnacle do this. A, it makes, it kind of makes blood and guts feel like it didn't need to happen. Like, to me, I think you could do one or the other, but I don't think you needed to do both. And to have it so quickly after Blood and Guts, like Chris Jericho shouldn't be coming back until after the pay-per-view anyway, but you have to get Stadium Stampede in because where else are you going to do it? Like, you, this is this is one of the last times you can legitimately put on Stadium Stampede for a while because you're going to start touring again. And it, it's tough to do Stadium Stampede in a hockey rink, right? Like, it, it's just... You are uniquely set up at Daly's Place to do that. So I understand you need to do a stadium stampede, but to do it with the pinnacle in the inner circle, it, it just feels like you skipped about two months worth of programming. And I, I do think this will probably be the end of the inner circle. The, the inner circle has been on since the start of Dynamite, and eventually those things need to end. And I, I, I do think it's elevated guys like Santana and Ortiz and, and Sammy. But it, it just, it, it felt like, if you weren't trying to rush a stadium stampede for double or nothing, you could have spun off the, the Hager against Wardlow. You could have spun off the, the Sammy against Sean Spears. You could have spun off the revival, um, against Santana and Ortiz, sorry, FTR against Santana and Ortiz. You could have done a lot more with those types of things. You could have done Santana uh, against MJF. Like you could have had little feuds in these things and then, okay, Jericho is back. We're challenging you to Stadium Stampede. Or we're challenging you to this big blow-off match. But that should be, in my opinion, months down the road. So it feels like they skipped a bunch of steps just because this is your last opportunity to do this specific match. And that that's just... I, I don't think that's the way it, it should go. And I hope that AEW doesn't continue to fall into these patterns. Just a, a quick last note. Um... MLW is doing their draft right now, which, by the way, is a fucking phenomenal idea, where instead of, okay, we're drafting guys to Raw, we're drafting them to SmackDown, when I saw they were doing a draft, I was like, is MLW breaking up into two brands? I, I like, I, I love their shows, but damn, they, they barely have enough to do one. Um, but instead, they're, they're drafting independent talents to come into MLW. I think that is a phenomenal idea. And quite frankly, I think it's something the WWE should do with NXT. Instead of, okay, well, we're drafting Seth Rollins to Raw this year and we're drafting whatever to SmackDown, make NXT feel like college football, where, like, it's not a minor... College football 
it is certainly lesser football than the NFL, but does it feel like that when you're watching it on a Saturday and there's 100,000 people packed into a stadium? No, it doesn't. And one of the intriguing things that you watch college football for is to see the next stars of the NFL. And there's obviously more to that, but I think if the WWE created something like that with NXT, where instead of on the draft, like you could do, you can still do the superstar shakeup draft um, to to start the seasons of these shows back in uh, in October or whatever. But if you want to do like a couple of weeks after WrestleMania, okay, we're doing a draft, we're drafting three stars each from NXT and here's a combine and here's a whatever. I think you could do that. And I think it'd be a really creative way to introduce some of these NXT talents to the main roster. I, I, I will admit though, I was a little let down that the first pick of the MLW draft is Davey Richards. It's just, Oh, okay. It's another old guy. And this is also coming from a spot. I was never a big fan of Davey Richards. I, I thought going with like having your entire character be, I'm basically Chris Benoit light it just, it doesn't do it for me. And it just felt like too many times he was hurting too many guys. And so I, I've never been a big Davy Richards guy. I've always felt he was vastly overrated and I just don't want to see him in 2021. So now there are guys who have done a lot shittier things than just have a bad character in wrestling over the last little while. But yeah, I, I was, I was rather underwhelmed with Davy Richards being the, the first pick. And to think about it a little bit more, we, we've basically gone a year without any independent pro wrestling. And in that time, like there isn't really a king of the indies right now. There, there isn't a whole lot of unsigned talent because you have AEW and WWE scooping up as many guys as you can. And MLW already has a few very impressive quote unquote unsigned talents. So I don't know if there was a name I was expecting that was going to be an, Oh wow, that dude. Okay. This is awesome. But the, the Davey Richards one was a bit of a, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's whatever. Like I, I would rather some of their younger guys get more TV time than Davey Richards. So that, that was a bit of a letdown for me on that one. But overall, MLW, like the, the story, if, if you just, if you have a spare hour for extra pro wrestling, I cannot recommend MLW enough. The stories make sense. And it's just, it is a very digestible hour of television. There's a couple guys on there who I think are going to be big time stars. I I cannot get enough uh, Alexander Hammerstone. And I I love what they are doing with the, the Contra unit and with Jacob Fatu. So there's there's some fun stuff on MLW. I, I just don't think Davey Richards is needs to be a part of that. That's going to do it for this week on Couch Potato Diary. Thank you very much for tuning in. Again, if you have any thoughts, I am Primetime Klein on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. I am on Twitch at twitch.tv slash primetimepk. If you don't get enough of me here, you can listen to my general history podcast with myself and my wife. As this week, we talked about gun rules in Australia. Next week, we're diving into the Berlin Wall it is we had no idea catch us every wednesday wherever you got this podcast that one's available here as well again thank you very much for listening please rate review and subscribe let me know what you like let me know what you don't like and i will certainly try to fix that so yes can't thank you enough for listening and i'll talk to you guys next week i'm out i'm out